Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. For today's special series episode on navigating the current market with Europe's absolute VC elites, we're talking to Chris, founding partner of Isomer Capital, the OG of European LP investing. With investments in more than 50 European early stage VC funds, counting anything from first time managers to the known greats like Seedcamp, Semantic, Hoxton, and Kindred. We thought Chris would be the perfect guest to dive deep on the effects on the current market on VC fundraising. On a final note, we should say that this episode is an edited version of a virtual event earlier hosted on LinkedIn. So in case you missed it, enjoy. And if you're part of the 5,000 VCs that have seen it thus far, we hope it will be worth revisiting. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. This episode is part of a special series on navigating the current market and is sponsored by Isma Capital, one of Europe's leading fund of funds. We thank Isma for their support in making this episode possible and being a strong supporter of the EU VC community. If you haven't yet connected with them, make sure to do so. You couldn't wish for a better LP partner. We've invited Chris because he's been around for some time in this industry, which is not very common in Europe. So we couldn't think of a better person to join us in talking about the topic of today. Chris, would you like to say hi to our audience today? I would. Good afternoon. I guess that's a fair approximation of where everyone is. But just in case, good morning. Um, (laughs) Chris, for people out there who don't know you and haven't had that pleasure yet, could you give us the quick pitch on who is Chris Wade? Well, I'm first and foremost an optimist. I'm a technology geek. Started my life in telecommunications, ended up building technology companies in the 90s, as we mentioned earlier. And I would summarize my 12-year experience as being an entrepreneur of everything that can go right about a company happened but also most things that could go wrong, including a massive macro event called the 2001 internet bubble. Mercifully, we sold just before the next crisis happened with the global financial meltdown. And I have seen time and time again, all the mistakes that I made, painfully made, and say, hey, I've seen this movie, I have a few things to say. That's not to say that I know everything because clearly I do not. But I think about those mistakes I made as a young entrepreneur and the corrections I made. I would say that venture capital in those days was much less forgiving and much less of a mentor environment. So you learnt on your own in many ways. And the segue to today in Isomer is GPs, particularly founding GPs, are entrepreneurs. They're founders. They're trying to create a business. You know, it's a business with a revenue stream with pretty minimal fees initially, and then it grows, hopefully, and it creates this wonderful thing. And I spend a great deal of time with GPs and the portfolio company 
just asking questions because it's not our job to direct. It's not our job to tell VCs how they should be conducting. It's to observe, congratulate, and comment. Because of course, we're here talking about 2021, but we started, Joe and I started Isomer in 2015, where there were 20 unicorns in Europe. Today, you know how many there are. I know we're comparing 21 versus 22, and it's all a disaster, but boy, have we come a long way in European venture. And that's not us. That's everybody's on this streaming event who have contributed and made that happen. Absolutely, Chris. So our first topic of today is current trends in the mindset of LPs that will affect your fundraise. And I'd love to start by asking you when you see the headlines that, you know, I just showed just before, what do you think as an LP looking at it? How does it shape your mindset? Some of us old Watsits, I'll call it that. It's a family show, right? Um, <laughs> have been kind of wanting a little bit of a correction for some time. Because, you know, my comment, why did I say FOMO has left the room? It wasn't a trivial comment. It was because we were going into FOMO land in 2021. And that's precisely what happened in 2000. And it wasn't just high-valued VC investments. It was major corporations, tech companies of major corporations buying companies that had little substance, it had gone crazy. And so a correction is useful. However, we must be prepared for the consequences. And the consequences, first and foremost, is all those beautiful write-ups may start to unwind a little bit if the company needs to fundraise. The second thing we think about is engaging with the GPs talking to them on a regular basis, and I'm now talking about our portfolio, and saying, you know, how are you thinking about triage? You've got this amount to follow on capital left. What are you going to do to that? And that's not to be prescriptive about the answer. It's just to understand the process and how they're thinking about it. And in some cases, connect to VCs you know, we're doing an event in early July where we're going to get some of the real people that were building VCs in 2000 and 2008 to talk about how you get through this. The second thing I would say that's really important is there's nothing wrong with changing your portfolio model at this stage. It is a model. It is for review. And so I think this continuous review as the market develops because no one knows where this is going. All we have is a data point right now where we're all feeling a bit sad of ourselves, but we don't know where this goes. The final thing I would say is looking at the trend lines of 2001 and 2008-9, it took 12 months or thereabouts from the initial IPO correction to it affecting A rounds and seed and that early stage stuff. So in my mind, I think that there will be some inevitable correction at that super early stage. This is where we, we play. And that's something just to be thinking about. And because I'm an optimist and I can't possibly leave this conversation without a positive, there will be some beautiful investment moments where we can all really benefit.
I'm curious because when you say it's okay to open up your portfolio model, it's okay actually. How do you see both what thoughts are you seeing your GPs coming with? Because I'm sure that you have had quite a few saying, Chris, can we consult with you on this? Could we have a chat? Both that and then also what do you reply? Well, first of all, the answer is yes. We are limited partners, key first word. We're there just to listen and to ask those sort of smart sort of questions. Look, the most important thing to understand is every single asset, whether it's public, private, how big it is, what sector it is, is in some way or other is involved in this correction. So the first thing is the person that says this doesn't apply to me. I have superhuman strengths. I have built an antibody wall against any negativity. Well, that's just, I'm afraid, just nonsense. There's a, a wonderful thing from a US VC, which I'm sadly just forgotten the name of, who talked about burn multiple, which is simply how much does it cost to make a million euros revenue? And if that is two million, then maybe it's time to think about how you're building your company, how you're building your, your sort of business. Now, this is unfair for super early stage companies who are still building that first critical customer relationship and first customer sort of revenue. But I think that there needs to be sort of a, a balance between growth, 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 and actually just giving more time to not have to go back to the funding sort of market. I think, you know, you asked a question about tearing up the fund model. You know, what am I really trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is it may be best not to do those last two investments or three new investments and actually conserve that capital for ensuring that your most powerful, your most valuable companies actually do get out to the other side. And that, that's also what, you know, it's you also speaking from experience from the 2000s, early 2000s, that that is what was needed. Well, in 2000, because I knew that we had fundraised, it was like any fundraising protracted, it always <laughs> is. I was hiring, 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 hiring. And then literally two quarters later, I was having to have really difficult conversations with people. And it's horrible, but that is what we had to do. Just before joining this conversation, I think that uh, we had an interesting talk about whether we're going to see VC shrink as well. I I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, historically, that has happened. And it's for a really good reason. In the build-up to the internet sort of bubble, in the build-up to 2021, whatever we're going to call that, what bubble we're going to call that, I don't know if they invent a name for a bubble for that. Lots of people, I mean, we get inundated with people saying, I'm starting a new V, Thrash VC, Flash VC. And I'm sorry if that's somewhat a real name. That's not meant to be, a, you know. And they're all saying, hey, look at this. This is an opportunity. This is fantastic. We must get in here. And they're smart people, but they come in at the very peak of the market and therefore it doesn't work. And, you know, they would have just bought a bunch of assets at you know, 60, 70x revenues, if there's any revenues at all, and it all falls apart. So it's slightly inevitable that that will happen. And in a way, some would say, I suspect that that's good for the industry, that there is sort of a slight sort of clearing out of folks that had just sort of joined. Clearly, that is an extremely unhelpful comment 
to the very earnest new founder GP who's just trying to build their business and actually gets caught by this. Chris, we talked a bit about, you know, what's going on and, you know, it's kind of some parallelisms here. But I would like to ask you a more direct question here, you know, as an LP, how has everything that's going on right now in the market shifted your mindset, particularly on, on two fronts? One, a new fund investment, and then two, recommitting to a firm with new fund vintages that they're coming out with? Well, LPs like Isomer, long-term, long-time as well, long-term actors. And so therefore, we're not just in and out, to be clear. We make commitments to our GPs that we're going to be there for multiple funds because that's our business. Our business is to build really long-term partnerships and relationships that actually become very second nature as you do multiple sort of funds. So there's no course correction from that point of view. I think there is clearly a conversation to be had with our LPs as we go forward about to what extent they want us to be fully invested in the market going forward. The silver lining in all this, there will be a moment And someone on this call is going to be smart enough to know exactly when it is, certainly not me, to say the stone has stopped dropping. The wind is picking up the stone. It's beginning to go in the right direction. And that is the point where you should be fully invested in the marketplace. And that is, you know, there's every single bit of evidence to say, you know, be invested at the worst sort of time is really important. The vintages of 2002-2009 prove that point in venture and probably in private equity as well. So there is a balance here. The thing I've got to say, I'm sure it's out of sync with our script, but I'm going to say it, the huge difference between 2001, which was a first-generation internet set of companies, and today is there are just so many really valuable companies today. And what do I mean by valuable? Things, companies that need to happen. We didn't need boo.com or pets.com or whatever it was. And essentially, those were billion-dollar companies with not a lot more than actually just a .com. That's a little bit unfair, but I'm making the point to the companies that are changing our climate, to the companies that are changing mobility, to the companies that are refurbishing all our electric products to make a more sustainable world and quantum computing. And that is substantially different. The bedrock, when you get all the fluff out, irrespective of what those valuations are, this is a very valuable asset in Europe. You're making the point that you've actually hinted to a lot in previous conversations with us that it's all about that underlying value in, inside of the portfolio, right? And what you're, what you're arguing is there actually is value <laughs> in these portfolios. Well, you know, what do we look for in a VC? Yes, the TVPI, the DPI, of course, that is a headline metric. But what are we trying to really understand? Can you source great companies? Can you build strong relationships with the founders? Can you build great portfolios? And can you triage that appropriately? And, and this is what we look at. And it's somewhat independent of the macro. There is a 
whole ton of technology companies that are valuable, important, that are going to be acquired with a massive capital that's available from the enterprise sort of world that have nothing to do with the macro. I, I want to come back to the original question, which is, you know, as an LP, how has this shifted your mindset? And I think what would be interesting, if you care at all to comment on that, is the fact that Isomer's strategy is more of an early stage strategy, right? So given that nuance of who you are, you know, there, there are specificities to you as an LP that others might very well not share. So I'd love to hear your, your comment on that and how your strategy affects also your view on what's happening right now. You know, we've um, been very fortunate enough to share a little bit in the success of some of the great London IPOs. And we did through an amazing VC firm called Hoxton Ventures. And they were amazing to invest in the seed and A round of some of these companies. And if you ever want proof that early stage is a useful thing to do, is you look at the share price of some of those companies, and I'm deliberately not mentioning them. I don't know if I can or not, but you know who they are. And even at the worst point of these share prices, when it's, you know, you're at a 10x multiple on cost. And that is the beauty of early stage. That remains the case. I think there is a sensitivity just now. If the prediction, which may or may not be true, that there will be a correction in early stage, you know, the, the A rounds particularly later on this year, you just need to be thinking carefully about whether you should be making those commitments at sort of 2001 sort of prices. And who knows? I mean, you know, in the end, the market decides. I don't decide. ISMA doesn't decide. You know, no LP decides. The market decides. You know, when Sequoia puts out, you know, RIP, the good times, as they did in 2008, or the Black Swan event, which eventually turned out not to be quite right, or the adapt and endure. These are big signaling statements that are made, but each VC needs to sort of think about how do they sort of apply that and how do they work that and how do they address that with their portfolio. Yeah. In the beginning, Andreas pulled up a headline from a dear friend of ours at the European VC fin from Frontline. The article was actually on a, a slightly different topic. It was more about, you know, who's to blame, founders, VCs, whatever. I'll allow you to comment on that if you care. But my question is slightly different. I particularly like one of the last bits of his article. He hides it in like two sentences where he says, well, we should expect a shakeout on the way. So not only for startups, but also for fund managers. And what I would love to ask you is, you know, what are your thoughts around that? But how do you think fund managers should prepare? Should they be worried? Well, look, we're all worried. In 2000, my company raised a lot of money. The end of the year, you know, had a wonderful year. And then Intel, who were a new investor, said, we'd like to acquire you for a big number. And I'll, uh, you'll see the logic in a minute. And then three months later, Andy Grove said, guys, we're going to stop all M&A. Look what's happening on NASDAQ. It's dropping like a stone. And then the world changed. Andy Grove wrote a book called Only the Paranoid Survive. <laughs> and never is a better time to be just thinking about this. I am not here to tell you what will happen because I don't know what will happen. Nobody knows what will happen. And that in itself is a little bit the problem. You know, we don't know. Because look, look, what have we got here? We've got sort of, you know, a devaluation in tech, but, you know, 
slightly constrained to sort of growth companies and to venture capital to some extent, particularly in the growth area, we have a significant macro headwinds with inflation and interest rates. And then we have a war. Now, I'll be controversial here and say a global war, because it's very clear the West's view and their actions and what they're doing, and that is scary. And so therefore, you know, I think about only the paranoid survive, and therefore we really think about that. And that's on one side of the weighing scale. Let's be super careful. Let's be really careful. On the other hand is amazing companies still get built. Amazing companies happen. They're really valuable. They're really important. They get built. And how do we fund them? What you just said there with the fact that it's actually probably a global war, at least you can see it as that. We're seeing that US LPs are pulling their money out of Asia. They're seeing the same thing as you're saying now, right? That you could then say, okay, that then there's an opportunity for European VCs in the U.S. market. But are there other LPs that you would say that you see moving in specific uh, uh, manners now as a reaction to the current behavior in the market? I think there are, to the extent we know, look, it's still early, right? We're still figuring this out. So I think one of the things that I'm beginning to realize is a reassessment frequently is really, really important because this is, you know, changing and unfolding and there is evidence. I mean, Kazoo, for example, announced today, you know, a dramatic change from hyper growth to medium growth and actually a route to profitability. And this is a company that's been growing at phenomenal rates. And that's in contrast to sort of a reaction here. So we really don't know how this is going to unfold. And I say, we have to be thinking about this frequently and regularly, but we have to also recognize that there's a golden opportunity around the corner. I want to take the time to also, you know, acknowledge that we have over 300 people listening in. So it's super cool. Thank you guys for joining. And we actually had a question here, which is kind of the perfect segue for what we had thought about talking next. So sent by John Lanch, and I hope I'm saying it correct, John, if I'm not, I apologize, which is what are, Chris, in your opinion, the success factors for uh, fundraising these days? John is, is a fund investor, right? So it's from a VC standpoint. Yeah. Look, it's not a great time. However, there are many institutional investors who are committing to venture capital as an asset class in general. And Europe is coming higher and higher on the decision-making process. And one of them is because, you know, sort of other markets are becoming more difficult or more challenged. And you mentioned that sort of earlier. So I think there is going to be a continuing significant amount of capital available from that quarter. Big institutions, you know, endowments that need to deploy capital and they deploy a certain amount to venture capital and they're going to be doing that and they'll be doing it. They'll be thinking about Europe slightly more than they did last year, which is a good thing from that point of view. So that's all good. What I think is going to become slightly more difficult, particularly if you're raising your second fund and you've raised your first fund, you've deployed it in a relatively short period of time, and the portfolio is too young. There is no real growth to talk about. 
And I think that is going to become a little bit more difficult. So I think the thing to be thinking about if you're in that position is to thinking about when are you going to go and fundraise? Do you have to fundraise now? Can you extend your fundraising? And when you do be talking about the portfolio construction, talking about those companies, talking about the growth of those companies and how they work and why they're important, et cetera. And I think those are sort of important things. The other thing that, that I noted to talk about, which we're just doing in a few days' time, is to have sort of, you know, you know we, we normally talk to our LPs once a quarter. That's the kind of the routine. I would be highly recommending some sort of interim sort of update, some interim sort of conversations, portfolio analysis. Huge numbers of VCs in Europe did a beautiful job during COVID time. Here's where we are, sort of simple traffic light system, you know. And interestingly, for the same reason, and that is, will there be a scarcity of capital? As it turned out, that didn't happen. But it's the same thing. So communicating with your LPs as a GP, I think is super important to recognize, you know, I think there's a comfort from an LP point of view to be acknowledged that, you know, the world has changed. So now I will go on a record and apologize to everyone for not taking their questions. My uh, comment section wasn't uh, loading on the right-hand side. I hadn't seen that because everything else was live on my page. <laughs> so very sorry for that, everyone. That means that we'll dedicate the majority of the remainder of this session to your questions, of course. And I think that we have a great opening one from Celine Schulze. She's asking, your policy for first-time managers, how are you looking at that now? compared to before. Another one is asking practically the same question. Right now, are you only focusing on re-upping on in existing funds or are you open to new ones coming in? Well, there's a philosophy question there and there's a practical question of where we are in our own fund cycle. Of course, we want to talk to all VCs. We have spent a great deal of time talking to people who would like to be a VC. We want to talk to people that are doing first-time funds. That's our business and that's our job. And, you know, we talk to 200, 250 VCs every single year and we invest in seven or eight per year, something of that nature. So the vast majority of those we're helping, we're talking, making connections, we're seeing are there stuff like that. But yes, we continue to do our job because we're not around for the next five minutes. We're around for a very long time and the world will change. It will, you know, revert to some normal mean and we will want to have our pipeline of great people to invest in. Yeah. That's our job. That's what yeah. we're supposed to do. Yeah. The same person asked us, so how many first-time managers have you committed to? And he asked for the past 12 months, I think that... It's more fair to ask how many in total uh, rather than that, but you can maybe speak to why that's worth looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, so I don't have that number to my head, but I'm going to, to guess that about 30% of our 60 managers were first-time managers. And four of them were incubated with us, which means they were not a VC when we met and we co-created the VC fund to, to, to more or less extent. And that has been a very successful sort of program. So we are certainly 
open for first-time managers. If I may just interrupt, we actually launched an episode with Joe. So Chris's other, you know, uh, amongst the four partners of Advisor, Joe and Chris are the founding partners, where actually Joe talks a bit about this cornerstoning. And it's super interesting to listen to that because Joe shed some light on it. It's something that Eisenberg hasn't spoken a lot about, which we actually are super, super uh, interested in well, always think, learning. Much that's you know, this is, this is something we can't do all the time because it's a super heavy workload. And they're normally around a specific sector theme or geography or technology theme that we say, yeah, actually, the world needs a new VC in that space. And the characters involved are wonderful and very high learners, and we can work together, and we can sort of really mentor, is what we're talking about, and they go do the work. Oh. And that's exactly what we talk about in the in the actual episode, because it's about Web3. Yeah, and it's a great Swan, episode, you know? by the way. I, uh, I love the way it's, it's very clearly set out, so that's great. Thank you. And, uh, I'll uh, try and milk the juice on the European VC and how happy we are about our own content in a second. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, now, we have another question from Daniel Kabriknorf from Speed Invest, who I also follow. He's definitely worth following. So guys, you can connect there as well. They're great He's yeah, they are for sure. Um, We've had them as well on the pod two episodes so far. You can also <laughs> check that. <laughs> if you want me to tweet our words. In the last 10 seconds. That's <laughs> yeah. So uh, Chris, Daniel is asking, what is your take on the investment cycle compression that we saw in 2020 and 2021? We hated it. Absolutely hated it. We worked night and day to go find money to invest and then we find, you know, a, a huge amount of it has to go, not has to, but do, ends up going into re-ups that we had planned to be in the next fund. Yeah. And the problem with that is not, I mean, that is an implication of that. But the bigger underlying issue is the fact that what's driving that? And what's driving that is a relentless pace of very highly valued deal, which this may be the last thing I ever say because someone's going to shoot me now. <laughs> Perhaps if there wasn't all that high pressure, more DD, longer period of consideration may have been useful. I don't know. Just a <laughs> yeah, I'll let that hang there. There's been a couple of questions about different verticals. And I think that the best way to ask is um, do it broadly and ask you, how does the current crisis impact your thinking around vertically specialized funds versus agnostic funds? Yeah. Look, it's a sign of European VC maturity that this question comes at all. You know, it is only relatively recently, I'd say in the last two or three years, actually sector-specific funds have become of sufficient quality that you would want to invest in. And, and indeed, we have done so. And they're really important things, you know, new sectors or emerging sectors like climate change and things like that are really important. I don't think it changes, is the truth. I, I don't see that we would specifically change our view on this. I mean, look, what are we trying to do? We're just trying to deploy capital across the whole of Europe and I mean the whole of Europe, you know, 37 countries is represented by an ISOMA 
partner VC to get a sense of all the wonderful things that are happening in Europe. You know, Europe has this amazingly diverse asset, which is called its distributor. And we think that's a huge benefit compared with other marketplaces. And so that's all we're really trying to do. We've had quite a few questions about what does Isomer do? And I just want to save Chris some time and say Isomer only does Europe, is doing most of the early stage uh, funds. Some people are asking what's the process like and so on and so forth. I think that is not something that we should really dedicate that much time in this conversation, but but just wanted to give you those insights. Some people are asking, do you do US, do you do Africa? No. Well, first of Chris, all, just, just be in touch and it will go from there. Yeah, exactly. But we, we invest in European VC funds who are looking for a real partnership with their LPs, in, you know, co-investments, secondaries, and all those things that come with it, and actually having some fun along the way and just going along with the ups and downs of building a VC firm. Boy, we've just been doing it for the last eight years. So, Chris, there is a trend that's going on or growing uh, in Europe, and I think that is also partly because of the influx of new managers and so on, that we're seeing more and more atypical fund structures, evergreen funds, corporate structures, so on and so forth. And the new guard is kind of saying, ah, the old GPLP structure is dead. <laughs> what are your perspectives on this? And, you know, of course, as Matt Linehan, who, who asked this question, states very well, you could make the argument that an evergreen fund wouldn't have to be as bound to a, to a certain time as a typical GPLP structure. Isomers founder Joe Short is much better place to to answer this than me. But let me tell you my view, having been thinking about this for the last eight years. There's some really good reasons why you have that GPLP structure. However, you know we're in the business of innovation, so shame on us if we are not innovating as well. And to date, what's been driving our innovation and thinking about this is investing in crypto funds, which we have done and will continue to do. And so I would just simply say, we are not constant. We're on an evolution. There are some really important, sensible, contractual things that you kind of need to have. And if people don't want to do that, go for it. No problem at all. Just not with us. We're here to be tested on that point. And one of the beautiful things is I think Isomer is quite entrepreneurial in thinking, okay, we really like this manager. We really hate this structure. How do we find a way of sort of squaring this round circle or whatever it is that that expression is? And I think that's our challenge. We don't sit in an ivory tower. I'm here in Tallinn right now because we invested in a firm called Karma Ventures. We knocked, Joe and I knocked on the door to get into this VC when it was closed because we really wanted to be in. We're atypical in the way we think about our entrepreneurial approach to doing business with GPs. I think that is also seen in the Cornerstone program and also you know, we're also seeing that it's absolutely needed. If you want to play in Web3 today, then, you know, you can't just play along with the old old structures. So, yeah, we have a question which I think is relevant. It's Phillips Frank who's asking, are these models, and I think that he just means everything that you're saying, applicable in emerging markets like Africa? Maybe open it up and say, 
Is this European focused and specific, or would you say that most of the things we're talking about here today is is globally applicable? I, I don't know is the answer. I don't, I don't know about Africa. I love Africa. I wish we had a mandate for Africa, but we don't. So no, I, I don't know. We take a lot of input from the US to see how that is evolving. But we're, you know, we're building our business around a European set of environments and wonderful VCs that we need to back. And we need to build our business around that asset. And that's just because that's big enough. Yeah. Chris, I want to ask you a question here that comes from Dr. Claudius Jablonka. Uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name completely ridiculously. I am Danish and I am uh, heavily weighed down by that heritage. Uh, so sorry, everyone. <laughs> Claudius is asking, hi, Chris, which state do you find the most attractive pre-seed seed series A in you know, consideration of the current market? And then he says in the end, do you encourage managers to refocus, e.g. shift early or even later? Well, the first answer to your question is yes. We like all those stages. We like that early capital that can be significantly more than just capital to the entrepreneur. And there's a lot of nonsense talked about that. I hope that we've backed managers who do that, because that's a really important point. One of our seminal questions in the beginning of a conversation with a GP is, what is the proposition to the entrepreneur? So I think that is you know, really, really important from that point of view. So one of the things that I hear isomers sometimes bashing on other LPs, if, if ever on anything, it is on the point of uh, whether you should tell managers to refocus or shift how they think about their investment strategy. Sorry, uh, I, I completely forgot that question. No, look, it's not our job to do that. It really isn't. Remember the L word. Yeah, limited. Limited. <laughs> I played that bill extremely well. Look, it's not our job to do that. You are building what you're building. If we're lucky enough to fit in with what you're doing, great. It's not our job to recommend what you should be doing. Chris, please give us your top do's and top don'ts for managers in the current climate. I'm quite sure that you have some catchy one-liners that we can use there. <laughs> yeah, let's deal with the one don'ts. And the one don't is don't ignore this current market condition. The do's, you know, if you are a VC today, be in touch with your LPs, regular communications. Be thinking about your portfolio and the construction and where you go from here. Be thinking about, do you really need to go out fundraising after the summer in 2022? Or could you wait longer? What would be the implications of doing that? Clearly talking to the entrepreneurs about the consequences of this market condition. And I suppose the final thing I would just say is the market is not a constant. It is a ever-changing animal that we need to keep checking in with and keep understanding where we are because it changes as quickly up and down. And that's really important for us to know. This is not the fashion industry. You know, we're not saying it's all shit. It's all gone to hell in a handbasket. Go away for the summer and come back. We're saying, hey, guys, it's changed a bit. 
just think about if there's any implications for you and let's ask the same question in the future and see how it evolves. Above all, make your own decisions. No LP should be telling you what, 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 oh, hang on, sorry, I'm a mean top shut up. <laughs> never, never, Chris. No, I just want to take the time to say a few words. So there was a couple of questions that we actually, I actually purposely ignored, and I apologize for that. The reason I did that is that we actually had um, an LP roundtable podcast episode with Chris, where we actually spoke of some of these questions that I have ignored. So I've decided to, you know, focus on the stuff we hadn't spoken about. So if you if you Google or search European VC LP roundtable, Chris Wade, you'll get it. And we talk about some of these topics. Also, there was a question here about diversity and inclusion. I know that Isomer was actually involved in a report that came out last week, right, Chris, on women in VC. Can you just give us a quick rundown? Because there was a question here about how do you think about that and what are you doing uh, to foster diversity and inclusion? And we think about it as Isomer a great deal. We have to fix this and stop talking about it because it's no longer an issue and as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, and to some questions out there, Isomer is quite responsive, to be honest. Something that we find amazing when you reach out to Isomer, you tend to get a, a reply. And if you don't, uh, I'm sure it's because they're, they're super busy. So everyone asking, how can we reach out? Well, just go to the website. Everything is there and LinkedIn's and whatever. You'll, you'll be yeah. able to contact someone at Isomer for sure. If not, drop us a line and we'll be the annoying ones reminding you know, them. <laughs> we, we are a GP as well. We fundraise. And we hate the fact that you have a call with an L, our, a, a potential LP and you get no response. And that drives us every single day. It's midnight, but there's two email, new incoming emails that you haven't responded to. I, we, we all feel the necessity to give that response just because we know how we hate being treated. Exactly. And I cannot help but share some love again for Affinity. I remember everyone who was watching today that it is only due to them that this was possible. They're a good, good partner of ours at the European VC. If everyone, you... before you leave, I know everyone tends to leave before we get to say the last few words. So now I just want to say, please help us share this message to everyone in Europe. So right now, this is a LinkedIn event. So go out, click share, share it with all the peeps in your network because... It's not often that we get to talk, frankly, with with LPs in Europe. So let's get this message out there. Yeah, Just exactly. <laughs> and if you'd like for us to do more stuff, whatever the topic is within VC, we are VC geeks and nerds and we love this industry. So shoot us some ideas, shoot us some challenge. We hope that we're up for it. If you enjoyed this and you don't follow us yet, we'd really appreciate that. And if you are not a listener of our podcast yet, we'd really appreciate that. And if you are a Gen Zer listening in, we just launched the podcast focused on Gen Zers. And I love how Andrea's voice breaks when he said from Gen Zs to Gen Zs, if anyone noticed. And thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you, Chris, for being here. And huge thank you to Affinity as well. Great. Good luck, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. This episode is part of a special series on navigating the current market and is sponsored by Isma Capital, one of Europe's leading fund of funds. We thank Isma for their support in making this episode possible and being a strong supporter of the EU VC community. If you haven't yet connected with them, make sure to do so. You couldn't wish for a better LP partner.